On this week's episode of Inside Outside Innovation, we sit down with Tom Daly, founder of Relevant Ventures. Tom and I talk about the challenges big companies have when trying to navigate technology and market changes, and what you can do to avoid some of the common obstacles and barriers to innovation and transformation. Let's get started. Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast to help new innovators navigate what's next. Each week, we'll give you a front row seat into what it takes to learn, grow, and thrive in today's world of accelerating change and uncertainty. Join us as we explore, engage, and experiment with the best and the brightest innovators, entrepreneurs, and pioneering businesses. It's time to get started. Welcome to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. I'm your host, Brian Ardinger, and as always, we have another amazing guest. Today, we have Tom Daly. He is the founder of Relevant Ventures. Welcome, Tom. Thank you very much, Brian. Pleasure to be here speaking with you. I'm excited to have you on the show. You have had a lot of experience in this innovation space. You worked with companies like UPS and ING and I think most recently Coca-Cola and a lot of the innovation efforts around that world. So I am excited to have you on the show to talk about some of the new things you're doing and I think more importantly, some of the things you've learned over the years. I started doing this work before people called it digital transformation or innovation. The earth cooled at about the same time. I began getting my head around this. I'm an advertising guy to begin with, and I can't prove it, but I think I created the world's first dedicated 30-second TV commercial to a website, UPS. In that process, I picked up some vocabulary, and I learned some things about how websites, quote-unquote, worked. So that when people started calling, you know, back in the mid-90s, wanting to talk to somebody about the web or the internet, the calls came to me, and it was during that process where I started to build new networks within UPS, learn about new things going on at UPS, and discover some of the opportunities. It's been a while. You talk a lot about this ability to turn big ships in small spaces. Talk a little bit about what that means to you and, and what the challenges really are for corporations in, in this whole innovation space. The idea of turning big ships in small spaces actually goes back to my boss's boss at UPS who noticed I was toiling. You know, UPS has a reputation as a conservative company. A little bit unfair. There's some truth to that, but not quite what people think. It's actually a very, very innovative company and has been for its entire history. But it is collaborative. There's a lot of debate and a lot of discussion. So getting new things done, driving new ideas, that my boss to encourage me, you'll get there, Tom, but it's like turning a battleship in the Chattahoochee. I don't know where listeners are, but imagine a pretty darn small body of water and a really big ship that you're trying to turn. So a lot of back and forth, a lot of kissing babies, shaking hands, just getting, you know, politics, but in a good, positive way to kind of really understand interests and concerns and build a better program, a better idea. So that's the idea. And it was encouraging to me. So this notion of turning big ships in small spaces it seems to be, to the degree I have any superpowers, that's the one. I'm able to kind of figure out how to help larger organizations figure out how to extract value from you know, kind of what's coming up around the corner. Obviously, you've seen a lot of changes, whether they're technology changes or business model changes that have happened over the years. Where do companies typically run into the problems when they see something on the emerging horizon and they're saying, we've got to do something about this? What goes through their mind and what can they do to better prepare for some of these drastic changes? The thing companies can do to help themselves most be prepared for big shifts in the world that we all live and compete in 
is, you know, the twin keys of openness and acceptance. Being open to an idea is really important, but it is only half the battle. Being accepting of the implications of those ideas is really key. And the classic example would be Kodak. You know, Kodak early in open to the idea of digital photography, but equally unaccepting of its implications. So they didn't jump in. They didn't do the things they needed to do. And as a result, very different company. Blockbuster would fit in that category. Certainly they understood the implications of streaming technologies and the web and the ability to distribute content. But given the retail-heavy business, the land-heavy business, they just weren't accepting uh, or at least not accepting fast enough to be able to secure position in the next evolution of how people consumed content. So those two ideas, being open and accepting both in equal measures, is critical to getting yourself in a good spot. Well, you touch on an interesting point. You read about the stories of companies failing or being disrupted, and from the outside, it looks like, well, they didn't pay attention or they didn't know what was going on. But it seems like from the stories and the people that I've talked to, it's not that they weren't aware of what was going on or the fact that it was going to have a major impact or that they should do something about it. It was more to that line of, like you said, acceptance of, well, how do we actually do this knowing that we're going to have to change our business models, change the way we make money, change everything about what we currently do to make this radical shift? And it's that classic innovator's dilemma. Are you seeing that changing nowadays now that people are kind of more familiar with the concept of this and, and as more and more changes hit corporations, so you're getting faster at having to adapt to this. Are you seeing the world changing, or are you still seeing the same problems exist? You know, anybody in this space, Brian, doing what I've been doing for as long as I've been doing it, you need to be an optimist. You need to believe that, you know, it's all going to happen. That said, the conversations I'm having today in 2023 are pretty darn close to the conversations I was having in the middle you know, of the 90s, right? So whether it was the dawn of, you know, this graphical overlay on the internet, the web and when browsers enabled, or the introduction of you know, advertising and marketing opportunities on the web, which didn't really happen at the beginning of the browser era, that followed a little bit later, or the introduction of mobile phones and then smartphones and all the, it's the same conversations. And they all come from a place of gaps. I won't say a lack because in some places there is confidence and acceptance and alignment with what's going on, but it's not uniform within organizations, right? Then there are pockets of people within departments, IT people, marketing people, salespeople. They see the same opportunities, but there are also folks who do not see the future in the same way. And that's where that acceptance problem comes in. So I ask questions. I do a little survey and I ask people really fundamental questions, one of them having to do with innovation. Where do you put your company in terms of new technologies and how quickly they would be used? Like you see yourself among the first to use emerging technologies. Well, I've asked almost around 2,000 people this question. And interestingly, overall, 16% of people would say yes. Our company is among the first. But if you drill down into that, you see CEOs of a C-suite at 36% believe 
they are the first to use technology, but only about 19% of VP and director level. So that gap needs to be studied. It could be that CEOs are both open and accepting, but just can't bring their organization along with them and get people to the same headspace. Or it could be that the you know, VP director level folks see something different. We're not among the first. And it's this overconfidence among the C-suite who happen to believe, but it may not be the reality of what you don't see. It. What you're looking at C-suite is really not what's going on. Regardless of how you interpret that gap, there is a gap. And understanding it, managing it, dissecting it, interrogating it is kind of what's really important. You know, a lot of this change and the, the ability to, to accept change and, and adapt to it comes down to incentives. What are you seeing or what have you seen that's worked when it comes to incentivizing teams or even the C-suite to put new things into place and to react and adapt to new changes? It's going to happen. It's going to change. My technique, it may be more patient than others. I don't know how to make it go super fast. I just know that lots of back and forth. You know, I think that the thing to do is demonstrate that this is real. I'll tell you an example, a little technique that I use back before the advent of mobile payments, before people using their phone to buy things was really as prevalent as it is today. It was possible, but not a part of many people's experience. So at the time I was at Coca-Cola, our products were sold in a lot of retail environment where these capabilities were being slowly introduced. But I was also working among a group of people who weren't ignorant. They just didn't believe it was happening. I organized what I called a mobile payments safari. I got a local little tour bus and planned out a route to Coca-Cola company customers. Dunkin' Donuts, local burger joint, Home Depot, all of these companies using mobile payments in one way, shape, or form. And I made everybody kind of get the appropriate app, sign up for the appropriate services. They paid early days of Square. I didn't pay for this bus ride out of my own budget. I had each participant use Square to see how that worked. Took them to Dunkin' Donuts to go get their coffee or a Coke and donut, off to the counter, see customers, so on and so forth throughout the day. Now, by the end of the day, it wasn't Tom's opinion. My language, I gave everybody the same inputs that I had. With the benefit of those same inputs, they reached the same output. They reached the same conclusion. Alignment gaps closed. People started to realize, oh, yeah, that's, it is happening in the world you know, where I live. That's a great exercise. And I think more and more folks need to pay attention to that, you know, we talk a lot about the customer discovery process and that, especially when we're working with startups, because at that early stage, they're trying to figure out who their customers are and is there a market and everything else. I think the challenge when you get to a kind of an established company is they think they know who their customers are or they you know read about it or hang out with the same competitors. And so there's a natural tendency to think they know what's going on in the world and that ability to step outside the office and see what's really going on. And you know, firsthand knowledge, I think is so important for whether you're launching a new product or just trying to, like you said, understand a new technology set and how that's impacting or could impact your current business. Brian, I think there's a lot to that and it's incredibly helpful. But the other thing that you need to be able to do is tell the stories around that. 
and help people understand it in a way that's digestible. Before I organized this local payments safari, I circulated a couple of case studies, one of which super impactful, I think, you know, that again, back to a square example, the uh, Salvation Army, you know, that famous red kettle collecting coins around the holidays. There was an early and really interesting experiment where Salvation Army was using Square to accept payments. Why? Not because everybody was using their phone to buy stuff, but they were using credit cards. They were not using cash, so they didn't have change in their pockets. And right. you know, felt that in the red cap. So they said, "Well, we got to find a way to get some money." You know, the storytelling that I created was, you know, that the coins that go in the kettle in December are the coins that go in a vending machine in July. And if people don't have the money to put into that red kettle, they're going to be the same dilemma. And it's just going to catch up with us. So we have to find ways to remove that payment friction. And I happen to be focused on mobile technology at the time. The point is the storytelling and finding ways to connect these trends in a way that's super easy. Nope, no language, no technical stuff you didn't have to understand. Just, oh yeah, I get it. No coins. So I love their insight into how important it is to get buy-in across the organization or how difficult is it for the average Joe manager within a company to help push the transformation agenda forward versus having corporate buy-in and, and everybody aligned. Can you talk a little bit about what are the skill sets, tool sets, things that people need from a manager level to make this stuff happen? I wish I had the one silver bullet to tell you some new blinding revelation. I don't. It's the usual suspects, Ryan. You know, you need to be informed. You kind of need to know a little bit about how the watch is made, not just sort of the superficial part of kind of what you saw. Just you're a technologist, you're probably more likely to understand a little bit of the underlying technology, but you may not have the language or experience or vocabulary to talk about how that interacts with people. If you're a marketing person, you probably have the skill set to talk about the stories and the like, but you don't have the technical knowledge. Whether you're coming at innovation, regardless of the perspective that you're coming at, an innovation discussion or transformation discussion, knowing both is important. You can't just kind of say, oh yeah, and well, payments. you kind of have to know a little bit about how the watch is made. So a certain amount of curiosity, critical, tenacity, perseverance. You know, we've captured my personal style, that big ship, small spaces, constantly creeping towards a destination. Other people will have different styles and different techniques, but it is all captured by the same notion of perseverance, tenacity, persistence, et cetera, et cetera. So no unique. I do have a couple of resources, though, that would be helpful for folks. You know, first thing folks might want to do is wherever they buy their books, great book written by a fellow named Kumar Mehta, who wrote something called The Innovation Biome. And The Innovation Biome is a book capturing case studies from cultures of innovation. Big companies, you know, Amazons of the world, Apples, what do they do culturally to enable these environments? You know, he'll use a reference, you know, a culture of yes within Amazon. So it's not the manager's job to say no, sort of the manager's job to say, okay, but yes, but let me help you get this through so you can get the information that you need. So, you know, I've worked with folks in the past, you know, who facilitate meetings that allow executives to get together, break out of the day-to-day, 
some of the techniques we've already touched on, talk to customers, walk around where people are living and doing their day-to-day thing to see where your ideas fit, where there are problems that you can solve. Simple stuff, but if you don't do it and you spend your time looking for that silver bullet, you're going to miss it. Just do it. Absolutely. The last topic I want to talk about is obviously, again, you've been in a lot of different industries and that you pay attention to a lot of the trends that are going on. Obviously, in the in news this week and in the past few weeks, the whole AI movement and chat GPT-4 and I'm, I'm talking to a lot of different companies saying, hey, we see this thing coming. We have no idea how to attack it or use it or whatever. What are you seeing when it comes to the AI trend and what is your input for helping companies try to navigate that early stage? We would agree you know, generative AI overall, kind of a, a big deal, going to be super transformative. You know, this book that I mentioned, The Innovation Bio, the author, Kumar Mehta, talks about the fallacy of the next big thing. And he picks apart, you know, the first fallacy is that, you know, it's the next thing. So generative AI is here, but it's like day one, right? I mean, not literally, but, you know, broadly speaking. So what it will truly become, who knows, right? I mean, so don't get too fixated on it as a thing at this moment in time. Allow yourself to just project forward and imagine scenarios down the road and what a future could look like because eventually we'll get there. Lots of folks, you know, back in the day of 56K modems, nobody will ever buy anything. Music won't ever happen. And this blockbuster streaming tech, well, 56 became 124, 124 became ES, whatever. And, you know, here we are on our phones doing things that were unimaginable really not that long ago. Generative AI is only important if it turns into a billion dollar idea for you. If you set that standard, you're going to miss it. Yeah. Right. Think about small, quick little wins, things that you can do today to learn the technology, introduce it into your organization, become familiar with it, and don't worry about the long ball, right? Singles and doubles, three yards, caught where your sports, whatever you're thinking. Start with what you can do. And don't, despite what I just said about learning how the watch is made, don't be overly focused on a specific thing, right? Chat, GPT, GPT-4, whatever it is. Open up the aperture, think more broadly about where these things, what's the real root essence of it, not a specific manifestation of it. If you give yourself that latitude, it's important to you even if it only saves two seconds a day for somebody. If it saves two seconds for somebody, maybe it saves two seconds for everybody. A company that matters. It'll magnify itself if it's real. I also find that you mentioned opening up the aperture. And I think a lot of times when I'm talking to C-suite folks or team leaders and that, they oftentimes think that they have to have all the answers. And especially in larger organizations, you have a lot of people in the depths of the organization that I believe are curious and restless in and around these particular topics. And sometimes all it takes is opening that up and saying, hey, who else in the organization has access or information or insight or a desire to help us figure this kind of stuff out? And if you open up the conversation, I think that sometimes takes the pressure off of the lead team to have to have all the answers or figure it out all themselves. I think what you'll find is there are people and pockets within the organization that can help you move faster if you just allow them to help you do that. 
Brian, that's what I was trying to get to with the kissing babies and shaking hands and politics isn't a bad thing. It's not a bad word. It's people. It's sitting down, grab a cup of coffee with your colleagues, you know, share your idea, why you might be enthusiastic or excited about a particular opportunity, but be open and, and listen when they tell you why that might work. Big organizations, a lot of specialized skills and capabilities, and these are intricate machines built over a long time. And my clever little idea looks like a bit of grit that, nah, it's just going to gum up the works. Uh, they'll do it. Tell me why, partner. Why is it going to go up the works? That'll help me think about it more deeply. Come back to you and say, well, I think I've solved that problem. What's next? Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. Now, hey, let's go rope in this other person. And then you just build that consensus. Now, again, in a smaller organization, that cycle goes faster. But the principle is the same. If you just show up with an idea. When you went home on Friday, we did it this way. Here we are Monday morning. We're doing it a totally different way. Gaps in alignment, confidence, and trust are going to come back and bite you. My analogy is turning a big ship. That's the rocks. Those are the rocks that are going to sink you. You're going to get stuck. It's just a lot more work to get unstuck than had you just charted the course a little bit more methodically. Makes a lot of sense. Well, Tom, we live in fascinating times. I appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your thoughts and insights of the past couple of decades of how to navigate this changing world that we're living in. If people want to find out more about yourself or about Relevant Ventures, what's the best way to do that? Best way would be just to visit relevantventures.com website, of course. You'll find me on uh, you know, a couple of Slack channels here and there. You'll find me on LinkedIn. I am wide open to sharing these ideas. It's how I learn and how I get better. And I hope someone has a, an idea that they want to discuss because I love to share what I've learned along the way. Sounds great. Well, Tom, thanks for being on Inside Outside Innovation. Looking forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you. That's it for another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. If you want to learn more about our team, our content, our services, check out insideoutside.io or follow us on Twitter at the IO Podcast or at Artinger. Until next time, go out and innovate.